the future. There are no people. There are no people in the future. No people at all. There are no people in the future. Where did all my people go? There are no people in the future. Let me try my people call. Hey everybody, everybody, welcome, welcome. It is Friday, September 23rd. Welcome to Raging Chicken's Friday Politics Roundup. Yes, this is Kevin Mahoney, creator and founder of Raging Chicken. Each week we break down the good, the bad, and the ugly in state and national politics. You can help support this show by becoming a patron for as little as five bucks a month. Head on over to patreon.com slash rcpress and become a patron today. You can also help out the show by getting on over to our YouTube channel if you're not there already. Smash that subscribe button, like the stream for this show, and hit that notification bell so you know every time that we go live. And share the show. Get it out there on Twitter, right? That's phenomenal. You can also head over wherever you get your podcast. If you listen to this as a podcast, make sure you're leaving us that five-star review. Um, put a couple comments in there. The more that you're able to kind of leave those comments, give us those reviews on, you know, Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts, on on Spotify, it helps other people find the show, right? The more you subscribe to our YouTube channel, the more people find the show. And thank you for all the recent subscriptions uh, uh, to our YouTube channel. The numbers just keep on going up. It's absolutely fantastic, and that's all because of you. I want to remind you also that we cannot, especially in this banned books week that we're in, we cannot let Paul Martino and his oligarch friends buy our schools and push extremist politics in our community. Raging Chicken has teamed up with Levelfield to launch a truly community-rooted pact to invest in organizing, supporting local and statewide progressive candidates, and unmasking the toxic organizations injecting our communities with right-wing extremism. We're putting small-dollar donations to work to beat back the power of big money. You can get more information and drop your donation at ragingchicken.levelfield.net. Oof. And on today's show, well, a new long-form article in the New York Times by Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist David Leonhard takes a deep dive into what he's calling the twin threats to American democracy today. First, quote, a growing movement inside one of the country's two major parties, the Republican Party, to refuse to accept defeat in an election. And second, the power to set government policy is becoming increasingly disconnected from public opinion. Nice to see that you got uh, Pulitzer Prize winning journalists kind of on the same page as us now. That's really good. No, but really, it's a great report. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about that today. And last weekend saw the weirdest and perhaps most troubling Trump rally to date. I don't know if you saw this, but holy moly. Closing out his Youngstown, Ohio rally, Trump got dark about the decline of America and, and creep as creepy QAnon theme music played over the speakers. Like, it literally was based upon this QAnon theme called, well, they use the abbreviation, but where we go one, we go all, right? That was the name of the piece, but the WWG, well, you know, all the abbreviation, that crazy thing. Anyways, so as he spoke, people in the audience began raising their arms and pointing a single finger in the air. It felt like this combination of, like, Nazi salute mixed with religious signs of devotion it was, you ever see like, you know, those religious folks that kind of get on, they put their hands in the air, put their heads down like this, you know, 
and put their, you know, hands up like, you know, praise God kind of thing. Well, but instead of the praise God hand going up like that, right, it was just a single finger pointing forward, right? And it was just strange. Even journalists who were covering the, have been covering Trump and right-wing extremists for quite some time, they were baffled. They were like, what the hell is this thing? Right? It just goes to show you that there are these streams of right-wing media and culture that um, are really dark to the public at this point. Anyways, new internal documents show that big oil companies openly admit to gaslighting the public about their commitment to going green. Documents also show that some company officials wished climate activists would get infested with bedbugs. Bedbugs. That's how petty these freaking people are. Anyways, a little closer to home. Yes, it's Banned Books Week, and public libraries across the Commonwealth and the country are shining shining bright lights on censorship and attempts by right-wing zealots to remove ban- uh, books from our schools. Bucks County has, of course, been front and center in the book banning agenda, and this year alone has seen 681 attempts to ban or restrict library sources, according to the American Library Association. That is on par with basically... Uh, Breaking the record of last year, which saw the most book banning attempts at any time recently, uh, which was, let's see, we get the numbers here, 729 attempts last year. But, you know, we're, you know, we still got a few months left. We can break it. We can do it. Crazy. As ALA president, uh, Lessa Kanai Opua Pelago Lozado, I'm very sorry, I'm butchering the name, I'm sorry. As she put it, quote, the unprecedented number of challenges we're seeing this year's uh, this year reflects coordinated national efforts to silence by marginalized or historically unrepresented voices and deprive all of us, young people in particular, of the chance to explore the world beyond the confines of personal experience. Well freaking said. There's a reason why librarians are front and center and leading the charge here. And on Saturday, September 24th, that is tomorrow, if you're listening to this live on Friday the 23rd, um, there is going to be a the first annual Banned Books Parade in Doylestown. Yep, from 4 to 6 p.m. at State and Main Streets. Participants will just dress up in cardboard boxes, kind of like made to look like books, right? Book costumes, you know, and bring these banned books to life. Uh, you can join in the fun and bring your Freedom to Read signs with you, right? And speaking of the book banning craze here in Bucks County, the educational website DocuSeek was blocked by the Central Bucks School District after a concerned parent, if you listen out to Coop Live on Monday, there you go, uh, Vanna de Armand complained at a recent school board meeting that some of the materials available on the site made references to sexually explicit themes and were discriminating against Christians. My pearls. I think she's like a health coach or something too as well. It's like, there's this weird mix. I don't know if people have seen this, right? There's, there's this really, there's this overlap that I've been reading some more about but with, with the kind of like personal fitness community and nutritionist community and like these QAnon right-wing religious extremist stuff. It's, it's just really, if I were to put my academic hat on, I'd say it's a really interesting mix, but I'm like really troubling and concerning mix. Ask me. Anyways, abortion is proving to be a key issue in PA's first congressional district um, this coming election. Yeah, and Brian Fitzpatrick seems to believe that avoid avoiding uh, that. Blah, blah, blah. 
Avoiding talking to the media and his constituents is probably his best strategy. <laughs> it's like, you can't, I mean, it's like this guy's unbelievable, right? A recent WFMZ 69 news story was covering the issue and it featured Ashley Ehas, right? Speaking out about abortion rights and some of the concerns about Fitzpatrick's uh, um, votes, right? And his anti-abortion votes. But as the reporter put it, and this is like TV news, right? As the reporter put it, quote, 69 News wanted to talk more to Fitzpatrick about his views, but several attempts to reach his campaign went unanswered. Duck and cover, Fitzy. Duck and cover. On today's last call, we got a couple big things happening in space news this week. Uh, well, first, later on today, NASA is holding a press briefing to discuss the status of the Artemis 1 mission to the moon following two failed launches in uh, August and I think early September. They had some uh, problems with the hydrogen fueling stuff and some of these uh, um, sealant leaks, um, but apparently they got those fixed. They just had a test launch or a a test fueling thing of it this week, and it seems to have, everything seems to be holding. Um, Artemis One may now launch as soon as September 27th, uh, which is later this week. But that's the earliest it could possibly launch is on the 27th. So my guess would probably not be there. That's when the next like launch window opens. Um, but on Monday, this is pretty cool, if you ask me. NASA will be will be streaming live its uh, asteroid smashing dart mission on Monday. There's going to be a link in the show notes where you can go check out information on where to uh, where to go for that. Uh, but if you go to NASA's website, they're going to do it right on their um, uh, NASA's, um, NASA's website. They're going to have NASA TV. They're going to be streaming that too as well. Um, what the DART mission is, is, uh, God, I should be able to tell you like immediately what that stands for, shouldn't I? You'd think I would prepare enough to tell you what DART means, right? It's the Double Asteroid Redirection Test. Okay. And um, so basically... You know, you. I don't know if you've noticed this, but it's been these increase of stories that emerge in the media about um, the, uh, you know, the, the number of asteroids that come in close to the um, close to our planet and all this kind of stuff. And by close, you know, it's not like oh, it grazed our atmosphere and took out satellites. Not like that. It's a, but, but astronomically speaking, it's pretty close. And you know, they're starting to think about okay, what if we take seriously this fact that. Uh, an asteroid could actually hit this, uh, you know, hit the planet and cause, you know, catastrophic events. So how do you actually defend against this? Is it possible to divert an asteroid and all this stuff? So the DART mission is setting up to this um, this asteroid. Um, there's this kind of like larger asteroid that's in an orbit that kind of comes around. And then there's a smaller asteroid that's kind of orbiting the, that other asteroid. Right. So it's kind of like a moon asteroid kind of thing. And so the DART mission is sending this uh, basically like, you know, a space launch battering ram that is going to go and smash into that smaller asteroid to see if it can divert its path. Right. So that's just wild in the first part. The second thing is they're actually going to have a camera that is streaming it live as this thing approaches this asteroid which we've never seen which will approach this asteroid and then slam into that um so maybe i it's just me but that seems freaking cool like just like to watch that they're actually doing this stuff so it's crazy and also a little bit of quasi space news uh the cartoon the jetsons premiered on this date in 1962. yep the Jetsons. Meet George Jetson. I grew up wait, uh, kind of watching that. I guess I was watching reruns. I didn't realize it was premiered as that early in 1962. 
Um, and I don't know if there's, you know, look, I don't want to do any spoilers here. Uh, Amy, uh, Amy Connect and I have talked a little bit about this, but I don't know if anybody's been watching the uh, Lord of the Rings series. Uh, I certainly have. I've also been watching House of Dragons. Um, and I, I'm loving both of them. Um, although I'll, I'll have, I'll, I'll should say a little bit more about the, uh, Lord of the Rings series and, uh, kind of at the end, uh, kind of toward the end of the show. Uh, I tried to get my entire family kind of in, uh, in on the game, but, uh, uh, not so much. Uh, and I'll talk to you a little bit of why. So anyways, for more PA Progressive Talk, you can tune in to the Rick Smith Show's live stream at 9 p.m. Eastern on his YouTube channel, Twitter, Facebook, and subscribe to his podcast wherever you get your podcast. Go to therigsmithshow.com for the latest across all his platforms. And, like, you got to check out Sisters of the Night Caucus podcast, right? It should be flooding your streams right now, especially ahead of the midterms. You can find it on Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts. The amazing PA women stirring the political cauldron behind this podcast rock the house. And they know where the bodies are buried. Make sure to follow them on Twitter at, at the Night Caucus. That's at the Night Caucus on Twitter. And for all you gamers out there, The Game In, that's with two N's. The Game In is a Quakertown-based, black family-owned gaming store. They're friends of the show. They've got everything from retro N64s, the latest consoles, video games for all platforms, loads of collectibles, action figures, Funko Pops... You've heard me. Walls of Funko Pops. And kids get discounts for every day and the report card. Now that school's back in session. Um, check them out on their Facebook page and follow them on Twitter at, at the Game In. That's with two N's. Got a question about a game? Look for something hard to get. Shoot them a message or drop them an email at thegameinpa at gmail.com. And a special shout-out goes, as always, to Jonathan Mann, who wrote our intro song, There Are No People in the Future. You can check out all his great stuff on his YouTube page and follow him on Twitter at at Song of Day Man. That's with two N's. That's at Song of Day Man on Twitter. Look, everybody, if we want a progressive future, we need progressive media. Support Pull No Punches homegrown progressive media today. Become a patron of Raging Chicken for as little as five bucks a month. Just go to patreon.com slash rcpress. We're here for the fight, but we need you. Become a patron for the price of a good beer once a month. Help keep the media and the movement and the movement in the media. Become a patron for as little as five bucks a month. Head on over to patreon.com slash RC Press today. Well, welcome, welcome, everybody. Welcome to our live listeners. Welcome to our podcast listeners. Uh, special shout out goes to all our awesome Twitter warriors uh, who are always getting news out about the show, helping share our work. Um, one thing I didn't say in the um, the lead up for today's show, uh, which was this was just pretty cool. I was pretty psyched about this. Uh, I just had an article published in the Bucks County Beacon um, uh, about uh, True North Research's new report on the dark money behind, uh, you know, basically funding all the racist hysteria and anti-masking nonsense and uh, book banning stuff in our schools. Um and it, it was it was fun to write. I was glad to be able to do this. Uh, shout out goes to Cyril for kind of uh, wanting to do that with me. But if you recall, on Monday, I uh, uh, I interviewed Alyssa Bowen on the show uh, as part of Out to Coop Live. And Alyssa Bowen, she's been on the show a few times before. And she's a uh, senior researcher and managing editor at True North Research, which is this kind of progressive watchdog group um, based out of Wisconsin. And... 
Uh, she was on the show to talk about that report. She had also written an article for Truth Out, um, um, basically about that report and about some of its major findings. And, you know, I really do think it's this, you know, they do, True North Research does this kind of indispensable work that is so critical for, as kind of tools for struggle. Basically, they track the money, they track the um, political influences and the power influences um, of, uh, say, this dark money groups. Um, so, you know, Lisa Graves, who's the, uh, who's, who's the kind of like, you know, who started the whole, who started True North Research. She was also instrumental in the Alex Exposed, um, work back from 2010, 2011, 2012, um, that exposed the American Legislative Exchange Council. And, um, you know, that work that they did then, um, the, the Alex Exposed folks, um, was basically one of the motivating um, factors that had us launch Raging Chicken back in 2011. Um, so to see that they're still doing this kind of work um, in this kind of targeted form, especially with that, you know, the focus on dark money is just so critical. So anyways, I had that piece uh, published in uh, the Bucks County Beacon. So um, please check it out if you want. Um, and uh, and do check out our show from Monday uh, with my interview with Alyssa Bowen. Um, just uh, it's always great talking to her. Um, she's just uh, just tremendous, and I just I, I love the work that she does. Uh, and it's great to be able to kind of have her on the show. Um, so yeah, uh, I was just thinking out. You know what? I'll just kind of grab that. Um, I'm also just kind of drop that link in today's show notes just so that you've got it here um i gotta say too as well at the bucks county beacon i also didn't mention this i don't know what i'm you know what's going on with me these days but um uh, i also didn't mention this but um bucks county beacon also uh cyril michaleko published a piece um uh, just yesterday i believe um that highlighted the work of um this group called Paru, which is the Panther Anti-Racist Union at uh, Central York High School. And um, they were the, the two kind of like, like, you know, teacher, I don't know what you call them, like not sponsors, but they were the advisors to that student group, uh, the Panther Anti-Racist Anti Union, which um, pushed back against the book banning attempts at uh, Central York schools um, and won. Right. This got, got some kind of national attention and so on. Um, we've talked about them on the show before. Uh, it was great to see that Cyril landed an interview uh, with those two teachers and talk about the work and how they did it. Um, and uh, do check out that article, too, as well, because it's, um, you know, gets into a little bit of the how to. What did they do to kind of, you know, push back against these book bans? So do check that out as well. Anyways, uh, so. You know, there is a um, this great report that has come out in The New York Times, um, as I kind of mentioned at the top of the show, um, from David Leonhardt. And uh, it's, it's a it's a long form piece. Right. So it's not like a quick read, but it gets into kind of an analysis of um, kind of what we're looking at. And, you know, he basically starts off the, the uh, this piece by saying, look, you know, we've we've had there's been trouble in this country before. Right. You know, he talks about how like um, we saw in, in World War Two and the Cold War. 
right? There were threats from kind of global kind of authoritarian kind of movements, right? Um, there were kind of concerns about the collapse of our society. There were major challenges and so on. The 60s and 70s obviously were, you know, there were assassinations, right? I mean, Dr. Martin Luther King, you got uh, Malcolm X, you got, I mean, we could go on down the list, but you also got Bobby Kennedy, right? You also got kind of Robert Kennedy, or, you know, or, or, that is the same one, sorry, JFK. Right. You know, and you've got, you know, these assassinations. So that's, you know, that's the that's crisis territory right there. Um, and what he says here, and I'll just quote this one part, says these earlier periods were each more alarming in some ways than anything that has happened in the United States recently. Yet during each one of those previous times of tumult, the basic dynamics of American democracy held firm. Candidates who won the most important votes were able to take power and attempt to um, address the country's problems. This is important. Right. Um, and then here this is and this is the movie makes. Right. The current period is different. As a result, the United States today finds itself in a situation with little historical precedent. American democracy is facing two distinct threats, which together represent the most serious challenge to the country's governing ideals in decades. The first threat is acute. A growing movement inside one of the country's two major political parties, obviously the Republican Party, to refuse to accept defeat in an election. The violent January 6th, um, 2021 attack on Congress meant to prevent the certification of President Biden's election was the clearest manifestation of this movement, but it has continued since then. Hundreds of elected Republican officials around the country falsely claimed that the 2020 election was rigged. Some of them are running for statewide offices that would oversee future elections, potentially putting them in positions to overturn an election in 2024 or beyond. Quote, there is the possibility for the first time in American history that a legitimately elected president will not be able to take office, unquote, said uh, Yasha Monk, a political scientist at Johns Hopkins University who studies democracy. The second threat to democracy is chronic, but also growing. The power to set government policy is becoming increasingly disconnected from public opinion. The run of recent Supreme Court decisions, both sweeping and both sweeping and, according to the polls, unpopular, highlight this disconnect. Although the Democratic Party has won the popular vote in seven of the past eight presidential elections, a Supreme Court dominated by Republican appointees seems poised to shape American politics for years, if not decades. And the court is only one of the means through which policy outcomes are becoming less closely tied to the popular will. Two of the past four presidents have taken office despite losing the popular vote. Senators represented a majority of Americans are unable to pass bills, partly because of the increasing use of the filibuster. And even the House, intended as the branch of government that is most reflected of popular will, does not always do so because of the way that districts are drawn. Right. And then he goes in, he talks about this book, which actually Amy Connect is, uh, has talked about before. Right. This uh, and I've actually I, I believe that it's one of the, um, the books she talked about before. It's called How Democracies Die. Right. Um, and um, talks about this book and this, this guy, uh, Stephen uh, Levitsky with Daniel Zeblatt, um, basically says, quote, we are far and away the most counter majoritarian democracy in the world. Right. Um, and then the rest of the article goes into a bunch of this. I'm obviously not going to read the whole thing because it's it, it's kind of extensive. But I wanted to kind of like set the table for you a little bit there and encourage you to check it out, because I think. Um, this is some of the, say, the background or kind of, say, deep reading and kind of analysis I think we need um, as both clarifying, right, and um, a kind of supportive in some ways, right, and kind of having that sense of 
Well, let me take a step back and say why I, I, I really wanted to highlight this, too, because you know, as we get closer and closer to the elections, um, the midterm elections, there is a, you know, a, a unavoidable tendency right for time to compress right and what i mean by that is that you know you get focused on the outcome of this particular election election because the stakes are so high right so you know here in the 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 pa first congressional district right that ashley ehas right um running against brian fitzpatrick right brian fitzpatrick is a republican machine who votes you know for kind of extremist policies like again and again and again while maintaining this mantle of kind of kind of uh, moderation Right. And her campaign is doing extraordinarily well. There's been, you know, there's been publishing of some polls that show her actually ahead in the race. Um, I'll be the first to admit that I'm a little bit skeptical of 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 that. But there has been some polls, even if there have been a bit of outliers that are showing that she's actually has quite a good um, quite a good. She has gained quite a bit of ground as in head ahead in some polls in some cases. But so there's a lot at stake there, right? There's a lot at stake in at the state level, especially with the overturning of Roe v. Wade. So like in the uh, like in my district, 143rd, um, that's a state district um, like uh, Gwendolyn Stoltz is running. Right. So getting her elected in this district is absolutely critical as flipping flipping one seat from red to blue. Right. In the state legislature in the uh, 145th district. Right. Jim Miller is running there um, looking to take that seat away from um, from Craig Statz. Right. The Republican who is again, who's kind of voted right along with the um, with the extremists in the majority. Right. So there's a necessary focus of getting folks elected kind of on that time. Um, and because our, you know, so much of the attention gets and coverage, media coverage and so on, things like this, it gets kind of compressed in, in the time. Um, it, 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 it can feel as if all of these issues um, are about the election. I'm not saying this very well, but what I mean is this, is that what what this article does, this New York Times article does, it kind of reminds us, right? It says that, you know, gives us this acute and chronic problems. It says, you know, we're, we have to be in this for the long haul. Um, that there is not an easy electoral fix to um, our the problems of our democracy. So there's like these two layers that were always good. You know, this is, I mean, this is not new. I understand that, but it just, it's been on my mind a lot. And I think this kind of analysis is perfect that um, there's the two layers that we have to actually compete right at the electoral level. Right? We got to get people to win 100%. There's no doubt about it. Um, we got to basically take back some of the authority and power um, at the state level um, and at the national level, right? Um, I, I've been especially kind of concerned and focused on the state level because uh, all everything that with the overturning of Roe v. Wade and with upcoming Supreme Court decisions, I am sure um, the battles are all going to turn to the states, right? Um, and you've heard actually, you've heard not this past Monday when I talked to Alyssa Bowen, but when she was on the previous time, when she was looking at these uh, dark money kind of moms groups uh, funding um, behind kind of, you know, attacks against Supreme Court justices and so on, um, that the states are increasingly going to be where these battles are going to be fought, 
right? Um, and so uh, that requires us really to kind of dig in at the state level, which of course is where Democrats historically, right, have not really paid a whole lot of attention. Now that has changed dramatically, I think, over the past, uh, you know, since since the the, um, the Trump election, um, and I think that's even ramped up even further given the. Um, uh, Roe v. Wade, uh, the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Um, we're seeing consistent kind of data that's coming out that uh, women are registering to vote at a much um, a much larger level than men. This is like new registrations. Um, it seems like that, uh, you know, for the Democrats kind of avoiding the issue of abortion for all these years um, um, has not been in, in the party's best interest. It certainly has not been in women's best interest or in progressive's best interest or kind of, you know, people who give a shit about equality's best interest, you know, to try to avoid it or try to talk around it. Um, but that's, uh, you know, that that's a key thing. That's a key thing. So is it, we're going we're gonna to be fighting it at the state level. So, we'll, so we shall see. So uh, this piece is... I felt in some ways it, it was a, a bit grounding, a ground, yeah, ground, grounding, grounding. Yeah. It was a bit grounding in the sense of saying like, okay, the Republicans and the right wing have been working at this for years and now they've got kind of institutional minority rule. What the, you know, you think about the Supreme court decisions as uh, Leonhardt basically kind of refers to here is that if Democrats have won, like, the popular vote, right, in seven of the last eight elections, right? And yet, seven of the last last presidential or presidential elections, right? Seven of the last um, eight presidents have not been Democrats. That's a problem. But then when you kind of face with that, you've got, say, from George W. Bush and then you've got um, uh, Donald Trump, obviously, who then were elected by a minority, who then went on to approve Supreme Court justices that are now in the majority. Right. In the kind of, you know, basically the overwhelming majority of 63 um, kind of leading in that direction, in the right wing um, direction. Those are justices that represent a minority of Americans, right? If you add that other layer, which you're talking about here, where the Senate, right, increasingly um, is way out of whack with any kind of proportional representation, right? As rural states lose even more population and, and kind of more urban states or mixed states kind of grow in population, right? Um, more of the pop, more of the people are represented by kind of fewer and fewer senators, right? They have a disproportionate vote. Then on top of that, you know, we've talked about this on the show before um, for, you know, kind of way back in the day in 2010, you had the Republicans red map strategy, which was basically to work at the state level when Democrats were not paying any attention to what was happening at the state level. And during the Obama administration, right, Democrats lost like historic numbers of governorships and state legislatures across the country, um, in part because the kind of the Obama people were focused solely on national politics. Right. And the uh, you know, again, the party follows, you know, follows the leader. And so they, no organization was done at the state levels. No kind of money was going at the state levels. Um, but the Republicans were doing the reverse. Why? Because they knew that in 2010 there was going to be a new census and they were going to have the opportunity to do re redistricting. And they did 
with like a bandit, <laughs> right? And so, you know, now you've got, you know, Wisconsin's the easy case to look at where you see that, you know, Democrats could, you know, in statewide elections, uh, Demo- Democrats could be getting, um, um, you know, upward close to 60% of the vote, right? Um, but being outnumbered in the state legislature, right, um, by, you know, like 58% Republicans, right? The idea being that is that they've redistricted everything so much that Republicans, more Republicans could win elections, even though those Republicans re- represent fewer of the, uh, of the people in the state, right? And that they have, you know, practically, you know, almost veto-proof majorities in many states. So those things kind of going on. So that means that we've got a, a serious crisis of, um, uh, in American in American democracy, um, and I like what um, what they say there, right? The uh, uh, Stephen Levitsky says, right? Say we are far and away the most counter majoritarian democracy in the world. Um, it takes a lot, I think, in our in our country, right, to get past that American exceptionalism to really grapple with that fact that we are a democracy at this point in name only, right? This is not a people ruled place, right? That these structures have been manipulated in such a way that a minority of people are controlling, um, are usually have control and can set policy against our wishes. So good morning, Emily. Uh, how are you this morning? Um, yes, we got started a little bit earlier today. Um, so do check that out. Links are in today's show notes. It's a great piece um, and uh, kind of important reading, I think. Now, the other thing I really wanted to just just kind of chat about right, is this uh, Republican or I'm sorry, this Trump rally that took place last weekend. I mean, I don't know if people saw this, but it was freaking off the wall. Right. So it, it was it was held in Youngstown, Ohio, and um, I, I don't I, I, I didn't know this is just a, a whole different level of disturbing. Right. Because look what we expect by now. We know if Trump is going to have a rally, he's going to be racist. Right. He's going to basically say they stole the election and that I'm the legitimate. Guy. We, we know all that kind of stuff. But, you know, we're finding out we get a little preview of the kind of, uh, you know, of the kind of uh, campaign Trump is running. Um, And really, this is a cultural campaign at this point. Um, It's one that is going is attempting to keep that, you know, keep the fuel into the, uh, you know, simmering violence. Make sure that that fuel is stoked. Right. That's really what's going on now, um, you know, in part because there's more and more pressure from all these, you know, legal challenges he has. He's losing in the courts left and right. Um, he's, he's, you know, facing charges now um, of fraud and tax evasion and obstruction of justice in New York state um, facing um, him and his team are facing um, all sorts of uh, legal challenges in, in Georgia over um, kind of interference with the election, all sorts of stuff like that. So, you know, whether or not he runs for president for me is a secondary issue at this point. Um, basically, what he's doing, he's making he's training the brown shirts. Right. Um, that's what that's what's happening right now. And so these rallies are 
you know, they go right up to that edge of overtly calling for violence, right? They go right up to that edge, just as he's, he's so skilled at doing, of telling people that, you know, if he's arrested, right, or something like this, that they should basically burn shit down. Or if certain people aren't elected, right, um, that they should not accept the legitimacy of the election. So we expect all of that, right? Um, this, however goes to show you what happened in Youngstown at the end of this um, is takes it to a whole new level. So if you watch the videos and there's and I'm linking to a story uh, in uh, New York magazine, the NY mag, um, where you, you go to you can follow the links to the, uh, the videos and stuff like that where you can see it. But there is there's this weird um, moment let me just see if this will hold it. Hold on. All right, that does play. So let me just, I mean, here's just a short piece. This is from the, uh, I'm going to talk a little bit over it just because I, because you obviously you're not going to see it and I don't have the, uh, I don't have the, the, the setup for you to see it, but this is from a uh, tweet from uh, Aaron Rupar um, who was documenting some of this stuff, but so this is kind of at the end of this, uh, movement. And now this is brought, this was broadcast live on Newsmax, right? So that's where the, the feed was coming. But just check this out. So Trump is stepping up to the thing. You're all the cheering. It sing- was hardworking patriots like you who built this country. And it is hardworking patriots like you who are going to save our country. We will stand up to the radical left lunatic. Okay, right at this point, the camera has cut a, the, the radical left lunatics is what he's saying, right? Um, right at this point, right after he starts the radical left lunatics, he cuts, they cut to the, the crowd. And the crowd has their arms up, like, you know, like you would imagine, like a Heil Hitler suit, except a salute, but instead of it Heil Hitler, or instead of like the hands up, like praise God kind of thing, they have one finger held up pointing toward him, right? And they're all pointing towards him. Right. So here's what he's saying. Like you who are going to save our country right now, we will stand up. up to the radical left lunatics and rhinos and we will fight for America like no one has ever fought before. There is no mountain we cannot climb. There is no summit we cannot reach. There is no challenge we cannot beat. There is no victory we cannot have. We will not bend. We will not break. We will not yield. We will never give in. We will never give up. We will never, ever, ever, ever back down. As long as we are confident and united, the tyrants we are fighting do not stand even a small chance of victory. Because we are Americans, and Americans kneel to God and to God alone. And it goes on. And now this point, there's a, there's a wider shot of the crowd at this point, And they all have that single finger pointed up, pointing forward. Right. Um, really, really freaky. Now, the um, the other thing about that, why it's freaky is because um, th- you hear that music in the background. That was not music that was added to the video afterwards for uh, that was part of the, of the music that was playing over the loudspeakers as Trump was doing this, it was kind of set as this kind of, you know, anybody ever seen the uh, Independence Day, you know, where the aliens come down and whatever, Bill Pullman, whatever his name is, stands up at the end. It's like, this is our Independence Day. It's crafted in that way with a similar kinds of music, except 
the music that was playing, and this was, was pointed out by the New York Times um, last Sunday, was nearly identical um, from a track called WWG1WGA, right? That's the abbreviation for where we go one, where we go all. That is the QAnon slogan. And that song uh, was called Mirrors, right? Um, but it was a QAnon song. And Trump is using that song um, in some of the videos that he has produced, right? Uh, and he's also using it, and uh, he did played it also according to the um, uh, New York Magazine. Um, he also played the same song at recent Pennsylvania rallies, right? So now Trump's people are saying, oh, it was just a royalty-free song that we just happened to find, right? Um, yeah, it's not, it's, it's pretty crazy. It's pretty crazy. So this is how the the, uh, the the NY Mag covers this. It says, quote, Meanwhile, the finger-pointing gesture that spontaneously broke out among the crowd on Saturday night seemed to have professional Trump rally watchers and extremism analysts stumped, at least for now. The Times reported that, quote, scores of people in the crowd raised fingers in the air in an apparent reference to the one in what they thought was in the song's title, where we go one, we go all. And it was the first time in memory of some Trump aides that such a display had occurred at one of his rallies. No one else had seen it before either, so there was a lot of head-scratching afterwards. It could have been a QAnon thing or some kind of America First thing or another demonstration of the ascent Christian nationalism in the MAGA-era GOP. Right. So take your pick. QAnon, America Firsters, or Christian nationalists. Right. That seems to be what was kind of going on. And it's really eerie. And why I said, you know, well, this is one of the most concerning ones once, because, you know, if you start you do any reading at all in the, the history of authoritarianism and fascism and stuff, this gradual melding of uh, kind of extremist and fundamentalist religion with this kind of cult of personality um, is the setup for um, even further devolution into fascism. I'm reading this book right now called Strongmen, uh, which is like from, you know, from Mussolini to to Trump and looking at these patterns that happens in the descent into authoritarianism. And this this is right on track with this. All right. So um, that's to be kind of majorly, majorly concerned. Um, so check do check out that piece, too, as well. And that's so freaking eerie. I swear to God. Um where is this other piece I wanted to talk about, too? Okay. Third thing in the first segment here today. Um, there's, I don't know how many people saw this because there's, there's, there's so much going on, right, that it's hard to pay attention to everything, right? Um, but I am very happy that this basically made it into my crosshairs as I was kind of, you know, doing reading for the week and stuff. Um, this was uh, about a congressional hearing um, with kind of big oil. And um, what kind of came out in some of that hearing and uh, some, you know, this is all the more important ahead of the U.N. summit. Um, right. You know, this past week, also the United Nations summit, you know, yearly, whatever annually summit is a kind of getting together where everyone gives their speeches. We had new reports that are coming out. Um, we talked about this in the show last week. 
um, that the looks like that we're facing um, tipping points in the climate um, sooner um, rather than later. Uh, things are moving more quickly than expe than expected, and all the while throughout this process, we've seen you know big oil, Exxon, you know Chevron, uh, you know all, all these all, BP, basically you know making the claims that they're they're turning green. Right. If you go, you fill up your gas, you know, you fill up your car, right? Because um, for those vote, the vast majority of us who do not have fully electric cars at this point, right, you got to go to the gas pump, right? And you're going to, you know, you're seeing like right on the gas pump is, you know, I, I filled up a giant the other day because I got like 40 cents off gas because of grocery stuff, right? So I go and I fill up there and there's a big thing. G look, giant has planted X number of millions of trees, right? We're committed to kind of protecting the environment. And I'm sitting there practically gagging on the gas fumes being like, Jesus Christ, this is so freaking gaslighting, right? You know, I'm being asked to, and it's like nice, nice color green and all this stuff. You see the trees, all that stuff. The same is true when you go to, you know, it's not just giant, right? You see this on all these gas pumps and they're promoting this green kind of aesthetic. So this is uh, from Oliver Millman in the uh, writing for The Guardian. And I'm just going to read a little bit of this to give you a, a, a quick, a quick uh, taste of it. So uh, criticism in the U.S. of the oil industry's obfuscation over the climate crisis is intensifying after internal documents showed companies attempted to distance themselves from agreeing from agreed climate goals, admitted, quote, gaslighting, unquote, the public for purported efforts to go green and even wished critical activists to be invested by bedbugs. The communications were unveiled as part of a congressional hearing held in Washington, D.C., where an investigation into the role of fossil fuels in driving the climate crisis produced documents obtained from the oil giants ExxonMobil, Chevron, Shell, and BP. Quote, first they ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they wish bedbugs on you, then you win, unquote, said Varshina um, Prakash, executive director of the Sunrise Movement. The organization accused Shell of a, quote, legacy of violence and ignoring the well-being of communities across the globe, unquote. The revelations are part of the third hearing held by the House Committee on Oversight and Reform on how the fossil fuel industry sought to hamper the efforts to address the climate crisis. Democrats who lead the community called top ex executives from the oil companies um, to testify last year in which they denied they had misled the public. The new documents are, quote, the latest evidence that oil giants keep lying about their commitments to help solve the oil of the climate crisis and should never be trusted by policymakers, unquote, said Richard Wiles, president of the Center for Climate Integrity. Quote, if there's one thing consistent about the oil and gas majors um, and gas majors positions on the climate, it's their utterly utter inability to tell the truth, unquote, Wiles added. Ro Khanna co-chairman of the committee, said the new documents are, quote, explosive and show a, quote, culture of intense disrespect, unquote, to climate activists. The oil giants, quote, climate pledges rely on unproven technology, accounting gimmicks, and misleading language to hide the reality, um, he added. Quote, big oil executives are laughing at the people trying to protect our planet while they knowingly work to destroy it, unquote. Right. This is all happening while, quote, Exxon was which recently announced profits of 17.9 billion for the first three months uh, for the for the three months until June. That is more than three times what it earned in the same quarter a year ago, has publicly said it is committed to the uh, the Paris climate agreement to curb global heating. 
However, the documents released by the Democratic-led House Committee include an August 2019 memo by an executive um, to Darren Woods, Exxon's chief executive, on the need to, quote, remove reference to the Paris Agreement, unquote, from an announcement by an industry lobby group that Exxon is a member of. Such a statement, quote, could create a potential commitment to advocate on the Paris Agreement goals, unquote, the executive warned. A separate note on a 2018 Exxon presentation also admitted that biofuels derived from algae was still, quote, decades away from the scale we need, unquote, despite the company long promoting it as a way to lower emissions, right? And this goes on and on. A, quote, a shell tweet posted in 2020 asking others what they would do to reduce emissions resulted in a torrent of ridicule from Twitter users. A communications executive for the company wrote privately that criticism that the tweet was, quote, gaslighting the public was totally not without merit, was not totally without merit. That's what they said. So let me read that again. A communications executive for the company, this is Shell, wrote privately that criticism that the tweet was gaslighting the public was, quote, not totally without merit. And the tweet was pretty tone deaf, he added. We are, after all, in a tweet like this, implying others need to sacrifice without focusing on ourselves. Right. They knew exactly what they were doing. So this, you know, it goes on. So this is one of the things because we are in such a moment of crisis. Right. This is the kind of stuff that can fall through the cracks, like seeing what's happening here. Right. When we get so compressed around election times, it's hard to see this stuff. Right. Um, which is one of the reasons I wanted to talk about it today. Um, but it's also one of the things and, and I don't want to get off on a sidetrack here. So I'm just going to comment on this. And I'm going to take a little bit of a break. <coughs> but the nonstop coverage of what's happening at Mar-a-Lago and with the documents and Trump lawsuits on cable TV Right. And to a certain degree on um, on, uh, uh, you know, online, too, as well and into the, um, the print media, but the print media to a lesser degree. Um, but that nonstop focus. Right. It's just like especially at a place like MSNBC. Right. It's just like you're missing all of this stuff. Right. If anything. Right. This should be like top line story. So anyways, um, do check that out. All right. So I'm going to take a quick break here and we're going to come back. We're going to talk a little about kind of Banned Books Week. What's happening here in Bucks County, a couple space things. Um, and then, uh, you know, maybe a little Lord of the Rings at the end. I don't know. Oh, a little bit. Um, so pretty cool. Anyways, this is uh, Kevin Mahoney, creator and founder of Raging Chicken. Uh, looking forward to... Uh, some cooler weather. It's actually cold this morning. I don't know if people were out there today, but it was. It got, I was out. I was like, whoa, I'm definitely underdressed since I'm walking my dog. <laughs> but anyways, um, weekend is here. I uh, got the band books parade. Uh, we're going to talk about kind of in a second. Um, but for the meantime, look, if you like progressive media, right, help us out. Right. The way that we keep things going, the way that we kind of uh, further expand stuff, the way that we, uh, you know, reach out and making sure that more people get to uh, have their voices heard. You know, we do our what we can to kind of amplify what's happening out, building connections with other local media, um, the way that we keep the lights on, so to speak. Right. Uh, are for kind of from our patrons. And you can help support this show by becoming a patron for as little as five bucks a month. I mean, literally, that's like like going to Starbucks and getting a coffee or having a good beer at your kind of uh, local brewery. Um, five bucks a month um, helps keep things going here, helps expand the work that we're doing. It helps keep on bringing in the great guests that we get on Out to Coop Live too as well. 
All right, we're going to be back uh, just in a quick moment. Um, but until then, this is Kevin Mahoney. See you on the flip side after this quick break. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1906. That was the day that Dr. Harriet Louise Hardy was born in Arlington, Massachusetts. She pursued a career in medicine, driven by personal family tragedy. She lost her father to pneumonia when she was only four years old. She also lost a baby brother to the 1918 influenza outbreak. Dr. Hardy became an early leader in the field of occupational medicine. She was also the first woman to become a full professor at Harvard Medical School. Dr. Hardy began her career in occupational medicine when she began to investigate the causes of illness among workers making fluorescent lights in factories north of Boston. Many of these workers were women. Dr. Hardy researched the cases of beryliosis in Lynn and Salem, Massachusetts. The metal beryllium is used in the making of the lights. Inhaling dust or fumes of the metal can be deadly, but symptoms often do not begin to show up until years after exposure. Symptoms include shortness of breath, coughing, and scarred lungs. Dr. Hardy developed the National Beryllium Registry. It was one of the first registries of its kind to track the impact of a chronic health disorder. Her research helped lead to safety measures in the handling of this dangerous metal. Dr. Hardy also worked with unions, including the Oil, Chemical, and Atomic Workers Union and the United Mine Workers to identify and address workplace health hazards. These included substances like lead, mercury, anthrax, and asbestos. She wrote a textbook on the subject of industrial toxicology with another pioneer in the field of occupational health, Dr. Alice Hamilton. Dr. Hardy helped to forge new ground in making job sites more safe and healthy for workers. Labor History in Two brought to you by the Illinois Labor History Society and The Rick Smith Show. Hey, everybody, everybody. It's Kevin Mahoney, a creator and founder of Raging Chicken, back with you here in this Friday Politics Roundup. Um, it is Banned Books Week this week. Uh, it's coming to a close this week. Um, but like public libraries across, you know, Pennsylvania and the country have been, uh, you know, building out their uh, Banned Books Week table um, and banned book selling. And um, I think in part because of the I mean, Banned Books Week is always a a a good time in booksellers' lives, right? Um, because, um, you know, they have their banned books, you know, tables put out there and they have promotions around it and they build connections with uh, what's happening in libraries and things like this. And libraries have their banned books areas and make it all available um, to, to shine a light on, um, you know, this this persistent tendency for, you know, um, censorship and so on. Um, and in Bucks County, we've been fighting this left and right. I mean, uh, you, you know, we, uh, as I said in the opening here, we had this, uh, you know, just just this, you know, past week, we find out that in Central Bucks School District, um, this this woman, Vanna de Armand, um, complained to the school board meeting uh, that, you know, this there's 
on Canvas, right? Canvas is like this kind of online platform where kids, you know, are, are logging in to their uh, for school and where all their materials are and all this other kinds of stuff. It is a content management program, which I freaking whatever. Um, but anyway, so Canvas is one of them. There's other ones at different schools and stuff. But on Canvas, um, one of the resources that was listed on there um, was for this organization called DocuSeek. Right. And DocuSeek is, you know, kind of gives access, you know, people buy packages or districts buy packages of um, different companies to give them access to different things. Right. Um, and DocuSeek, right, was one of the one of the resources that was on um, their page. So uh, just to give you a sense of what DocuSeek is like DocuSeek basically and I'm just reading right now from their website, right? So this is no no editorializing here. I'm just going to read their, their, on their about page. This is what it says. DocuSeek streams essential independent social issue and environmental film to colleges, universities, and K-12 schools, providing exclusive access to content from renowned leaders in documentary film distribution. Free pre previews are available to registered users. Streaming licenses are available for single titles in the entire collection for periods ranging from a week to the life on file. Right. And it gives you, you know, here's here. And then it gives you a sense of um, some of the participating distributors. Right. There's Bullfrog Films. Um, there is uh, Clarity Films, Collective Eye Films, Degenerate Films, Distrib Films and a whole bunch of them. Right. So you can read them all. They tell you what their focuses are. And basically Icarus Films is like, you know, they produce some great stuff. And it's, you know, a way that basically you provide a central access point for a whole series of documentaries. Right. Um, and that's what it is. So, you know, that's what libraries do, right? I mean, libraries, so instead of you having to go out and try to find them on yourselves or pay for Netflix or find it on some stream, uh, kind of alternate kind of streaming site, um, you get to kind of go here through the library in order to get them, right? And, you know, the collections are, they, they range, right? You know, from, you know, a whole range of different kinds of issues, they, you know, from the, from the 20th century to adoption, to ecology, to Keynesian economics, to labor economics, to Lebanon, to environmental education, to Serbia, you know, but when somebody probably saw one of the subjects was, you better, I don't know, you might sit down for this one, right? sex work sector, right? I'm sure they saw something like that and they're like, aha, right? Or they saw Marxism and communism or Marxist economics, right? They saw those as a potential topic or they kind of said like, oh my God, what are we going to do? Um, maybe there's something, oh my God, there's a section on Christianity and that is right above citizenship, social movements and activism. Oh my God, it's a hotbed of propaganda. Look, they have a whole section on women, women's history and women's studies. That can't, we can't have our kids having access to that, right? God forbid they get access to those documentaries on dance or democracy, right? So it gives you an idea about here. Now, again, documentary films, right, they cover the huge gamut. And DocuSeek provides access to a, a range of just awesome, awesome films, right? And again, I would probably say, right, without kind of going through everything that is here, that sure, there may be a chance that there's um, a film on there that, you know, people are going to feel a little bit uncomfortable with about kids having direct access with. But the fact is, is that, you know, if you're getting something for K through 12, 
right? Um, just like any organization, you can set filters for the organization and so on, right? So it is not something that like kids are just going to have access to porn, right? And, you know, news alert, parents at home, your kids, right? If they have access to, they have access to the internet, right? They're not getting their porn from school. They're getting it right in your house, in their room, right? So, you know, whatever. So whatever. But so that's what they're, you know, so that's what they're going after this, this, this thing on DocuSeek. And so they went ahead and they banned it. We found out they, you know, that they banned it because this woman, this is exactly what we were talking about on the show on Monday, right? What, why I had Alyssa Bowen on the show this week to talk about their report, about the dark money behind this stuff, is because this is their playbook. We're seeing it play out right in front of our faces, right? A parent comes up and says, I am a concerned parent, right? And I'm not doubting that she's not a concerned parent, but the talking points, the directing it towards here, the the what everything that happened behind the scenes to get her to get up and say that stuff. And now I'm not saying that it's like, I'm not saying that she was part of some kind of a cabal, right? Although she may be, but I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that there is a funnel of information that is designed to, well, I should say there's a bunch of information and media and organizations that are designed to funnel people towards particular conclusions for particular actions. And the right wing does it extraordinarily well, especially the Christian nationalist right. Right. Because what they play upon, as we talked about on Monday with Alyssa Bone, like they said, they play on this parental rights discourse. Right. Where they go, I am just a concerned parent. And if you don't know that millions and millions of dollars are being like spent to create organizations and discourses and to get parents to get so concerned that they're freaking out. Right. Or just to basically wanted to do their good Christian duty and go up and kind of, you know, block the kind of, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah comment or content on their local library thing. Right. Whatever it is, right. There's an infrastructure designed to push those parents towards those school boards to do exactly that. And certainly we know that the, the local Republican parties, right here, the Penridge kind of Republicans. Right. We see this, you know, all around the place. They are encouraging this. They're strategizing to do things like this. Now, is Vanna de Armand, is she part of the, that Republican Party? It does. I just don't know. That may be the case. I'm sure that some of the people who are listening right now know who she is. They know who she, they're familiar with her. They know who she's connected to. But she's pretty clearly to me, based upon you know the reporting in the, um, in the Courier Times, pretty clear to me that she's tapped into the religious right somehow. Whether it's her church, right? Whether it's her local Republican Party, Right. Whether it's her, I don't know, you know, her healthy God practices. I'm just making that up. She doesn't see. I I don't know if she says that or not, but um, she's bringing that stuff forward. And if you don't know about all that stuff, all that background, all that went in there, it's hard to get to say, okay, well, she's a concerned parent. She's just worried about her kid. Right. And it's her practices. And like, well, look. We've said this a thousand times. There's already, there was already practices on the books for kind of the concerned parents, right? If they were concerned about their kid having access to particular things, there was already a process in place at Penridge and Central Bucks and all that kind of stuff. 
all this new stuff is not because these libraries or librarians or schools have are suddenly flooded with like, you know, like left wing propaganda. No, it's because the Republican Party and the far right in this country, the billionaires that support that infrastructure know that this is the way that you fuel their base, getting them riled up so that they can win the elections in the fall and ultimately privatize public schools. That's what this is all about. And there's an interesting case happening right now, which uh, it may not seem related right away, but I, I, I asked Alyssa about this on Monday. Um, and I'm going to, you know, this is something I want to dig into locally here, too, as well. If you look at, you know, a bunch of school districts in the area, um, the teachers, their, their union contract is up right now and they're in negotiations. I'm in negotiations at Kutztown. I mean, not me personally, but my union is in negotiations at Kutztown, right? Or the, the state system of higher education, right? Right now, Palisade School District, for example, um, they are without a con or they are in negotiations, right? They are, they still don't have a contract. Um, there was a recent school board meeting where a bunch of the teachers showed up, right? Kind of in unison, same t-shirts and everything like this and supportive of uh, wanting a fair contract, right? Haven't seen a lot of reporting about this in the news and so on. Um, but it's gonna be interesting how that plays out. Frankly, um, my understanding is that Central Bucks School District is going to be um, going into uh, contract negotiations this year. And my sense of things is that's where we're going to see it explode. That's where we're going to see the direct attack on teachers unions, right? We're going to see the direct attack on teachers, right? Because guess what, folks? Those are the same things, <laughs> right? So keep an eye on what's happened at Palisades, right? Um, and there may be a time when we're going to see like a call for support, right? And I hope that folks are going to step up behind the Palisades teachers, right? Um, and demand that we've got their backs because look, they're, for folks who are not familiar with union contracts, right? It, especially teachers union contracts in this, in this instance right now. One of the most important parts of a teacher's union contract is their defense of academic freedom and professionalism and expertise. What does that mean? It's true that things like medical benefits and uh, salaries, right, and leave time, all that kind of stuff, that's what gets the headlines, right? Because those are the economic things, right? The the, the paychecks, the uh, what you get for your salary, what you get for um, your fringe benefits, that kind of stuff, those are called mandatory areas of bargaining, right? So they're always going to be um, the last things that are settled, right? And they're so they always seem like they're, that's really what the sticking point is. And that works great for kind of like right wing school districts and for this, because then when there's a potential strike, they can say, well, the holdup is over salary or medical benefits or leave or something like this. And so it feeds into this kind of greedy teacher narrative, right? That, you know, that this country seems so kind of like keen on perpetuating, right? Especially in our, in our, our traditional media. But when you start looking at, and that's been changing a little bit too as well, because the pressure has been so much on teachers and now we're in a teacher's crisis, right? Because so many teachers have left and they're not coming back and they're not going into teaching, right? Because they see the writing on the wall. They see what this is like and they're not sure they want to stick around. But 
the other parts of the contract, which are so critical to the day-to-day education of our kids, have to do with who is in control of making decisions over our, the educational quality and the curriculum that's in the schools. And teachers, if you ask me, I mean, obviously I'm in education, but whatever, I'm saying people who studied to be teachers and studied to, for education and studied to, in order to do this stuff and then are working with our kids on a daily basis and know our communities the most, those are the ones who are cl- one closest to the ground, closest to the families and the kids, right? And also the experts in teaching, right? And curriculum, right? And they do professional development and all this other kind of stuff. So you want the teachers, the people who are have most impact on our kids that have um, are the most expertise and are in the best position to make quality educational decisions, you want them to have control over the curriculum, right? You want them to be in the driver's seat, so to speak, right? And part of what that means is that, you know, our public money goes to support these structures in which they're in, right? It's all that kind of stuff. Instead, right, you see on the right, right, they want to break those unions, right? So they're going to put the control into the hands of school boards and administrators and probably outside contractors that will profit off of selling curriculum, uh, curriculum material, curricular materials to the school districts. That's the game, right? And that's why, you know, what we saw in that kind of report from True North Research about, you know, the, some of the longstanding anti-public education folks were um, funneling money into all this kind of anti-CRT stuff, um, into all the, the book banning materials and all that. Uh, because that's their long-term game. And those folks are directly connected to and closely aligned with the, um, the Christian right, right? Because as Betsy DeVos, you know, former Trump Secretary of Education um, and longtime anti-public school advocate, um, she's publicly advocated for years, right? She and her husband and their whole kind of, you know, network of uh, nonprofit, quote-unquote, nonprofit advocacy organizations that she runs or funds at least. Um, they have basically want they're not they're not opposed to public money, Right. This is what my good friend Rick Smith always says. They're never opposed to public money. They're just opposed to that public money going to public schools. They want public money to be funneled into Christian schools at the same time that they will then have complete control over the curriculum. So they don't need to teach things like evolution. They don't need to teach things like the equality of the sexes, (laughs) right? And they certainly don't need to accept LGBTQ's students in their schools. Right? That's the game. And so one of the pathways through that in order to get, you know, obviously one of it is funding this kind of parental outrage stuff and these kind of grassroots organizations that are increasingly extreme to put pressure upon kind of school districts and school boards in order to ban books in order to take control of the curriculum that way. The other way they're going to come at it, I guarantee this, you're going to see this, I would predict Central Buck School District is going to be where we're going to see it play out locally, um, the, uh, the attack on teachers and teachers unions, right? That's the next round. And Paul Martino, as I've mentioned before, Paul Martino he is the one who already put that on the table um, last year when he said, you know, the two Democrats that got elected to the school board and Central Buck School District, he basically said, because PSEA, the teachers union, because PSEA supported those two candidates, then they should 
recuse themselves from those contract negotiations because the teachers union, that's who they're bargaining with, right? That's who's on the other side of the table of the school board. And so it wants them out of the room, right? Because they had special interest money. Meanwhile, Paul Martino, singular, you know, singularly Paul Martino has basically funded the rest of the board, right? You know, so like, and he's not a special interest. He's just a concerned parent. So crazy. Anyways, <clears throat> there you have it. Um, so, yeah, this is going to keep on going. Um, and all the more reasons why it was good to see that, you know, tomorrow, uh, se- uh, Saturday, September 24th, uh, we're going to see a, um, a, uh, a banned books parade in Doylestown, right? That's going to be taking place from 6 to 4 p.m. at State and Main Streets. Um, there's a link in today's show notes. Just click on banned books parade. It'll take you to their Facebook event site. Um, you can get more information on that. If you happen to be in the area, um, if not, you know, see what's happening this weekend um, in your neck of the woods. Um, this is, you know, Banned Books Week is not something that just takes place just in Pennsylvania or just in Bucks County. It happens everywhere, right? I'm sure there'd be great events that are going on. And like, look, it's a great time, right, to go out because all the books are right there, right? And on the displays, it is a great time, you know to do a little bit of that kind of holiday shopping a little bit early, right? Getting by, by banned books. The other thing is also pretty cool too. I should say the Bucks County library, uh, Bucks County free library uh, on their website. Um, they're also selling mugs and t-shirts. Um, and they say, I read banned books, right? Also great birthday presents, great kind of holiday presents, right? So a uh, good time to kind of uh, uh, buy some of those for the fam. <laughs> I read banned books. Yep. I uh, hope I didn't. I hope my kids don't listen to this to know what they're getting for Christmas. <laughs> so, anyways, um, yeah. So I want to thank you uh, for uh, all the work that you've been doing already out there because it's uh, it's quite a quite a time. Um, and I, I put this on to you know I just saw this uh, WFMZ sixty nine news story um, talking about how abortion is going to have an impact in Bucks County. It looks like that we're seeing uh, similar kind of national trend. Um, greater numbers of women who are uh, uh, registering to vote for the first time uh, are motivated to uh, uh, get out and vote in the midterms um, because of the uh, the elimination of Roe v. Wade. Um, and uh, some of the mainstream media is starting to pay attention to this stuff, which is great. And um, the other thing that's also history uh, is also interesting is that uh, uh, Brian Fitzpatrick has got nothing. Like he like legitimately. And now, again, this is not the first time that people are complaining on it. We've had, you know, um, Kirsten Zolfel has been on this show saying exactly this. He doesn't meet with his constituents, right? He doesn't kind of answer any questions that he doesn't want to. He wants everything nice and controlled in PR, um, especially when it comes to hard issues. He doesn't want to kind of ever talk about his abortion record, which is ho- horrific, right? Um, he is an anti-abortionist through and through. Um, and the fact that he, you know, the, the only thing he'll issue statements that are well-crafted by his PR firms, um, but he won't answer the hard questions even from reporters for a story on abortion in Bucks County in this election. So Ashley Ehas was out there kind of talking about his record, which is freaking awesome to see. <clears throat> and the reporter, and this is what I'm so glad that they did. The reporter said, look, we tried several times to reach out to the campaign and they didn't even respond. They didn't say that they didn't want to respond. They just didn't respond. Right. Wasn't even a no comment. It was just like, nope, not going to call you back. Right. So there you have it. There you have it. Uh, it's going to be a critical campaign. So, so quick, my mouth just goes, goes nuts. Better have some coffee. Mm. 
A couple cool things in space news. As I said, uh, we're going to find out later today the uh, status of the Artemis 1 mission. That's the first mission that's going to the moon. This is an unmanned mission. It's basically a test run for the Artemis 2, which will basically uh, be a manned mission around the moon. I don't believe that Artemis 2 is a that they're actually going to the surface, if I remember correctly. They might send probes or something there. Uh, Artemis 3, the third version of that, will actually be um, um, where they'll actually bring people down to the moon. So this is the first one that is, um, this is the first thing that's out there. Okay, sorry. Um, I just kept on getting these notifications. I'm like, what's going on? Uh, I always worry because there's been times when uh, the stream cuts out or something like this, and I'm unaware of it. It's not showing up on my screens, and then people care. So, like, when I, people sometimes start texting me and stuff, so I wanted to make sure that that wasn't the case. Sorry, my bad. That's totally an aside. Um, anyways, so the Artemis three, I think, is when they're going down. So um, they had they were supposed to launch um, the the mission in uh, in August, late August. Um, a Labor Day, I want to say, but um, but uh, there was a there was a, a, some kind of a, a sealant leak that was uh, kind of off gassing some stuff, and they said it was it was beyond any kind of particular specs, so that there's a potential of um, you know catastrophic things you'd explode right if it catches on fire. Hydrogen is uh, you know one of the main fuel. And it's extraordinarily flammable. So, uh, you know, they said, well, we probably don't want to do that. Um, so they and then they tried to do it again. They thought they fixed. No, they, they had actually had to take it down off the launch pad and they have to go fix it. They brought it back to the launch pad. And this week they did uh, kind of like a fueling test and everything seems to be holding. Um, they had a different way of doing things where it's going to take a little bit longer to fuel things up. But it's going to make sure that it doesn't put unnecessary pressure upon these seals when it's on the pad. And we're going to find out today. And so the next launch w window opens on Tuesday, which is the 27th. And so we might see that mission kind of go forward anytime after that. I think the, uh, if I remember correctly, the, well, let me just actually take a look real quick. So the launch window is, da, 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 da. let me think, let me see here. Yes, it just says that is uh, it's targeted for no earlier than September 27th, but it doesn't give us the uh, doesn't give us what the closing date on that. Right, because the mission is also based by the position of the moon and all this other kind of thing about when they can go and uh, weather and so forth. So. So we shall see. So that'll, that'll come up. We'll find out more about that today at 1230 um, p.m. If you're a space junkie like me, you can actually just uh, head on over to uh, NASA.com um, and get info on that. Um, that's, or I'm sorry, NASA.gov, my bad. Um, NASA.gov slash NASA live or just go NASA.gov and click on their um, uh, the live stream. And then you can actually watch the uh, um, uh, the info. Right. Um, the other info is that the uh, DART, right, which is uh, they finally have the info up on us. This. this is great. Um, DART, which is, you know, that kind of uh, double asteroid redirection test where they're actually smashing this, uh, you know, satellite battering ram into this asteroid to see if they can actually affect the or orbit of uh, an asteroid, divert its course um, in potentially ways of protecting the planet. Um, beginning on Mon Monday at 5.30 p.m., you can watch a live feed from NASA's uh, DART mission. And the live coverage begins at 6 p.m. for NASA's double asteroid uh, redirection test. That's where it's going to impact directly in the asteroid. Oh, great. They even have the name. The asteroid is called Dimorphos. Dimorphos. 
or Dimorphos, something like that. Um, and the impact should take place around 7.14 p.m. Um, and then it'll be a kind of discussion afterwards of that. So um, you can also check that out at nasa.gov um, and um, or uh, you can look to NASA TV. Um, but again, the direct link is nasa.gov slash NASA Live uh, for all that great info. And you can see their upcoming schedule of events. Pretty, pretty freaking cool for space nerds like me. Um, and then as I was looking at that, I literally had no idea this was the case until I'm look, looking uh, um, at info on DART and what the time was and stuff. And they had a little sidebar about uh, the Jetsons premiering on this date in 1962. So um, awesome. Um, all right. So. Um, <clears throat> I've been watching, so I'm going to say this really quick. I'm not going to say too much because Amy and I have talked about, uh, one, we still haven't had our kind of wheel of time uh, um, discussion. Uh, as you know, we've talked about, I talked about this on the show, about wanting to do this. And uh, I will I will say 100%, this is completely my fault um, for not kind of moving forward on this sooner. It's just been, uh, I got sick, right? I think I talked about this on the show. I got sick um at, at the end of September, at the end of uh, July, beginning of August, and it really kind of took me out of uh, out of commission for for a couple of weeks, um, and and that had and then there was and then because because of this stuff, I basically I had a, I had a I had a blood clot in my leg, right, and um, it it seems to be all the kind of tests have come back positive or or. or, or come back with good news right have come back negative with some kind of more concerning things and um it seemed to have some related to like a a kind of a pressure sock that i was using to kind of deal with an achilles tendon injury um and that may have caused it but you know if you get it something like that that's super serious um and i was having like all sorts of physical manifestations i thought i had covid um and it felt like covid um i'm still not entirely well actually i mean i got a pcr test so even the pcr test came up negative so um but it was it was it, it was something so and then i had to do a whole bunch of kind of follow up stuff medical stuff um after that and just that happened right at the time when I was also supposed to be prepping for um, for my semester and getting everything done. And it just compressed all my time and really just really took me off my game. And anybody who listens to the show knows because I you know missed a bunch of shows and things like this. And um, and that was really why. So um, I'm really at the at the core of that. So the wheel of time um, and uh, last Amy and I were talking about this. We thought maybe, look, the new wheel of time series is supposed to come out in November. Um, I want to say November 8th is sticking in my head for some reason, but it's supposed to come out in November. So maybe we try to plan that time where we're going to actually have that little discussion. We've had some discussions about open that up to maybe patrons or come with a Zoom call or something like that, which would be just kind of fun um, to have that conversation. Um, but well, we'll get back to that one. And then the other one, we also got talking about uh, Lord of the Rings, right? Because the new series uh, uh, Rings of Power um, just started, I think, right at the beginning of September. And I've been watching that. I know Amy's been uh, been excited about that too as well. She's a huge uh, Lord of the Rings fan, and um, 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 and I don't think I'm telling any secrets here when I say that. I think she's even said that on the show. Um, but that's just kind of the that's been cool. So I've been I was really excited for the first you know when they debuted, and I got my whole family to watch it with me and that kind of stuff. And you know. It's gonna be it's gonna be really hard to uh, get me to like say dislike a uh, anything that's Lord of the Rings. I just love it, right? Um, and I, I I I'll just say 
my first impression was that I was very excited about it, right? And I wanted to continue watching, right? I'm not going to talk too much about the, sh the show itself yet. Um, but um, there's this, uh, this you, you may have found this too as well. If you ever read uh, um, uh, Lord of the Rings um, or you've even watched the movies, there's a lot of world building background, right? Um, there's some things that are at a different pace than uh, what you would get in kind of like any other action movies, right? Now it's got a chair of action and things like this, or action series and things like this. But there's this kind of like kind of development of the world, right? Um, that kind of slowly unfolds, which I personally love, right? Um, absolutely love that. Um, it was a, a harder sell for <laughs> for for the rest. Of it. I, I have to say, my kids were like excited about watching it and watched it and liked watching it, but were kind of like uh, the pacing for them was a little uh, um, there. So we we shall see, right? I mean, I'm up to date on everything. Uh, they are not, so I'm hoping to kind of get them back in. Um, I'm waiting for like a, a rainy like weekend, a cold rainy weekend. Then I can say, hey, come on, let's watch the rest of it. So. Anyways, um, so hopefully we'll be able to work that stuff out coming forward or going forward too as well. Um, I want to do some fun stuff here too, in addition to, uh, you know, the focus on the decline of uh, American democracy. So put those thing, things together. I think it's a good pairing. <laughs> Anyways. All right. That's all I got for today. Um, and I hope you all are doing well. Uh, hope you all are staying warm. It was a surprise to wake up with things so cold this morning, um, at least in my neck of the woods. And uh, I happen to love it. So Good, good news for me. Um, uh, just show notes, programming notes coming up on Monday show. Uh, my kids have off on Monday. So I think we're going to take a little kind of like uh, like small little excursion for a, for a couple days. I'm not sure when we're coming back on Monday. So um, I did not schedule a guest for Monday. Um, I should be on Monday night and we're just kind of an open phones, uh, kind of what's on your mind stuff. So got anything that's on your mind you're thinking about, um, you know, shoot me a message, uh, DM me on Twitter. And that's at RC Press. That's at RC Press on Twitter. You can DM me there with kind of ideas or issues that are coming up, any um, events that are coming up that you want to talk about. Um, I think we should talk about on the show on Monday. That'd be great. Um, and then it looks like that we'll, for the following week, we'll be back on track with uh, um, with our next set of guests. Um, I'll let you know who that's going to be soon. Um, and uh, it's, it, it's interesting planning some stuff. There's so many things that are moving so quickly that um, there, there are some people that I've, that I started to reach out to that the reason I reached out to them, uh, it, it, I wanted to have them come on the show to talk about this thing, but this thing is already kind of like, <laughs> dramatically change into a different direction. So it didn't go to work out, but, um, so we'll go anyways. Uh, wish you all a great weekend. Uh, have a good one. Uh, happy, I guess like first, you know, foray into fall yesterday was the, uh, the, uh, the fall equinox. And, uh, here we are into fall officially, at least for the astro astronomical calendar is that how it works. I don't know, something like that. Um, but yeah, so we remind you, you can help, um, this show out by, first of all, look, you subscribe to our, you watching us on YouTube, subscribe to our YouTube channel, right? Even if you don't watch YouTube a ton, you subscribe to our channel, helps other people find the show. If you're listening to this as a podcast, make sure you leave us that five-star review. Just take a couple minutes, leave that five-star review. If you want to leave a comment or something like that, it'd be fantastic. You can do that on Apple podcasts, you Google podcasts. You can do that on, uh, Spotify, Spotify. You can't leave the comments yet, but you can then use the, <laughs> excuse me you can use the um the star reviews 
when you review like that and you're kind of engaged with the content, um, what that does is that basically um, kind of tweaks the algorithm, let other people say, hey, you might want to check out this show. And it helps amplify not only just the work that we do, but the people in our community and the people that we bring on here and to amplify their voices um, and to help contribute to this kind of uh, a progressive media environment that uh, we need to build if we're going to hope to, uh, you know, maintain any kind of semblance of a kind of democratic future. So there you have it. That's my pitch. Uh, you can head on over to patreon.com slash RC press and become a patron for as little as five bucks a month. Thank you to all our patrons. Thank you to our Twitter warriors who always get the word out and thank you to our guests. And thank you for people who support us from day one. Um, it's been quite a ride so far. I have to say, I have to say, all right, everybody, this is Kevin Mahoney, uh, creator and founder of raging chicken. Um, looking forward to a good weekend. Um, we spent some time with my kids Maybe enjoy some of this cooler weather. I'm loving it. Hope you will too. Take it easy, everybody. Have a good one. See ya!